Please stand for the reading of God's word. John 6, 22-59 On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread, and after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have never seen me yet, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone that has seen the Father except he who is from God, and he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is God's word. If you'd like to follow along, uh, 
In your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We have removed the pew Bibles so that nobody's touching everything over and over again, but uh, online you can open your Bibles as well. In 1884, Captain Frank Hall sought a permit to dig for gold on property that he had purchased. Uh, his permit was rejected because it seemed to be too close to uh, the center of town. So he built a house on his property and he lived there until he became ill and once he... Uh, he left the home, he, he sold it, and there were various people who lived in it, and eventually it was turned into a little hotel uh, called the Smith House. In 2006, while they were renovating it, they dug through some concrete in the floor in the dining hall, and they discovered a hole. Um, they went down the hole, and there at the bottom of this hole was a gold mine. He finally got his gold mine covered up by his house. But imagine owning that house or living in that house and you're sitting on top of a gold mine yet you have never ever accessed all the treasure that's in it because you didn't know it was there. And then of course it would be doubly if, uh, sad if you did know it was there and still never accessed it. There are a number of stories about unrealized treasure. I read one of a person who bought a five-inch dish for $3 at a yard sale and sold it for $2.2 million. Uh, there's story after story. And it's sad if you don't realize the treasure that you have. And it's wonderful if you do get that treasure that everyone else is passing up. The greatest treasure, of course, of all is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. He offers himself as the bread of life. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to see clearly, understand fully who Jesus Christ is and what he is offering us. Lord, may we be drawn to him and live out of the life that he has called us to so we could access the fullness of the treasures that we are given in Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lot in this passage that we're not going to be able to cover this morning. So I do want to zero in on three things. What we'll see is that when Jesus addresses the crowd, he says he is the bread of life. And yet they reject him. But even though they reject him, Jesus is not dejected. He will still stand firm in who he is. So we're going to look at three points this morning. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? What is he offering as the bread of life? Two, why do the people at Capernaum reject this offer? And then three, we want to look at the confidence that Christ has even though he's so fully rejected. So, the bread of life, 
the rejection, and then the confidence that Christ has. So we look first at what, what does Jesus offer us? And we've seen, as we've unfolded this chapter, as it begins with Jesus before a crowd of 15 to 20,000 people, 5,000 men. He only has five loaves of bread and two little fish, and yet he feeds the entire crowd and takes in 12 baskets of bread that are left over. And of course, the crowd, which had originally come to him because of the miracles they had seen, are now awed again by having personally experienced one of Jesus' miracles. And so they sought him to be their king. Jesus got wind of this very quickly, and he retreated all by himself to pray. The crowd couldn't find him, so they returned to the other side of the sea, to Capernaum. And eventually, when Jesus arrives, we see this interchange. They ask Jesus, how did you get here? And Jesus gets really to the point. Verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So there's this big disconnect between the crowd and Jesus. The crowd is satisfied that their stomachs were filled with bread. And so they saw Jesus on a physical plane. They could probably imagine what else Jesus could do. I mean, he's been healing the sick and the infirm. He's given sight to the blind. He's fed them. He could do this over and over again. Just think of all that Jesus offered on the physical plane. But Jesus is talking about something much greater, a greater treasure, and it's on the spiritual plane. And that treasure is himself as the bread of life, as we read in the verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus did the physical miracle because he was pointing to a spiritual reality. The crowd missed that spiritual reality because they were on this physical plane. So Jesus digs down more deeply, and he says, I, not what I offer, but I myself am the bread of life. And he uses this picture of bread because it's the main staple of the day that nourishes people. One commentator says, in the time of Jesus, bread was essential to life. It symbolized the source of life because it was the primary means by which people survived. So when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he was saying, I am your daily spiritual food. In fact, I am the only means by which you can live forever. But he's actually saying even more than that. Because he says, whoever comes to me as the bread of life shall not hunger and will never thirst. So what Jesus is saying is, as the bread of life, I will fulfill all that you hunger and thirst for. What is it we hunger and thirst for? 
And I want to just look at five areas of life where we all hunger and thirst. One is meaning. Second, it's love. Third, identity. Fourth, happiness. And fifth, eternal destiny. So let's take each at a time. And what we're going to see, Jesus as the bread of life, not only helps us to see all of these five areas, but he helps fulfill them and satisfies them. So meaning in life. Perhaps the greatest philosophical question is, why am I here? What's our purpose? What is the meaning of life? To understand that, we have to go back to God himself because it is the creator who gives us the meaning of life. As we see God, we see a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three have been living together in perfect unity from eternity past. I often use it, talk about it as a divine party. And so what's going on in this divine party? And John 17 really shows us what's happened from eternity past. They are loving each other perfectly, fully, and unconditionally. And then secondly, they are glorifying each other. They are treasuring each other, honoring each other, lifting each other up. They are all about each other. And when they are in this love and mutual glorification relationship, they have perfect joy. And so we have this God who has a perfect joy, but the very essence of him is love. And certainly he's going to be thinking outside himself. And so what he does in creation, he expands this divine party to offer it to those he creates. So that's why God has created us. And so we understand our meaning from that creation. Our purpose is to enter in to that relationship that God has among himself, experience that fully, and bring that out to others he's created. So we are, through our relationship with God, to feel his love, to receive the glory he wants to bestow upon us and to love him and glorify him in return. We can only do that if we have a relationship with God. But our sin has broken that down. It's like we have a pool of beautiful water in this relationship with God, but our sin has poisoned it all. The poison has to be taken out of the relationship. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take our sin out of the way so we could have that relationship with him and we could fulfill our purpose and the meaning in life. Jesus does that as the bread of life. Secondly, love. We all know love is really the thing we most value in life. We go back to the Beatles, and all you need is love. And song after song after song ever since really centers on the fact that we're looking for love, that there needs to be more love. And so many of the love songs are about how 
we might find that perfect love that will finally satisfy us. We all want to be loved, and we all want to love. Why is that? Because God himself is love. He's been in an eternal love relationship. That's what's going on in the divine party. And so he is the one who fulfills that love. We seek it, as the song goes from Urban Cowboy, we seek it in all the wrong places. And we have this dream that there's an individual out there who can fully satisfy that need we have for love. None of us is perfect. None of us can perfectly satisfy that. Because the love we are looking for is a love that is unconditional, that accepts us no matter what. The love that's forgiving when we fail. The love that is constant. The love that will never leave us or forsake us. If you found a, the love of your dream, you may get a taste of that type of love. But it can't measure up to the love of Jesus Christ who died so we could have forgiveness, who loves us unconditionally, who is always there, who will never leave us and forsake us, and nothing can take that from us, as Romans 8 says. I am sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who satisfies our love need. Identity. One time or another, we all ask ourselves, who am I? We all want to feel that we are important in some way, that we are valuable, that our lives are meaningful. And it's a lot of reasons why some people just give up on life because they don't find an identity where they are treasured. Remember what's going on in the Trinity? Love, glory, being treasured. God wants to glorify us. He did so by creating us in his image. Imagine the reflected glory, not as the sun, that's God shining forth, but more as the moon with that reflected glory of the image of God in our lives. But once again, sin has entered in and distorted that image. An illustration I like to use is about a mirror. When we see our image, we look in a mirror and we see the reflection of who we are. That's what God created us, his image, to be. A reflection of the very character of God. But what sin did was it warped that mirror. It warped our lives so that instead of looking like God, a reflection of God, we're more like a funhouse mirror. When you look in a funhouse mirror, you see your head and it might be distorted and your body might be crunched. It's there. Your legs might be elongated. You're there, but it's, the picture is so funny. Because of sin, the image of God is distorted in us. 
Christian life is about Jesus Christ dying for our sin, bringing us the Spirit of God, leading us with his teaching to begin to straighten out the mirror that we are so that we become less and less distorted and eventually reflect the person of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the bread of life. He gives us meaning, love, identity, and happiness, but we like to call that word happiness joy. Remember the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other perfectly, glorifying each other, and in it they have perfect joy. Jesus said in John 15, after he had taught the disciples about abiding in him, living in him, he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Everything Jesus teaches us and brings us is because he wants us to have the joy he experiences. And what's that joy? The relationship with God the Father. It's the perfect joy, the fullness of joy. It comes through the relationship with him. In addition, we can have a joy, we can have this joy in all circumstances of life because the God of love controls all circumstances. Jonathan Edwards wrote this about Christians. All bad things will turn out for good. All good things can never really be lost. And the best things are yet to come. Our lives are roller coasters in the circumstances, but we know who controls every event. It's a God who loves us, a God who is sovereign, and a God who is all-wise. And ultimately, we know where the roller coaster ends. We know our eternal destiny because it's given to us by Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes says that we have eternity written on our hearts. We all long to live forever. It seems many try to suppress that, try to deal with death by saying, well, it's just a natural stage. It's the circle of life that we have to go through. Every biography of every life the last chapter starts with, and then he or she died. But there's more to that chapter. What is next after death? Jesus Christ says, there is eternal life offered to you. If you believe in me, you will never die. You will live forever. He doesn't say that about those who do not place their faith in Christ. Instead, he will talk about eternal judgment. Eternity is written in our hearts because God created us for the divine party, not just for now, but forever. Jesus offers us that eternity. Believe in Jesus Christ 
Accept him as the bread of life and you will never hunger or thirst because he fulfills the greatest needs in our lives. Who can pass on this offer? Seems like a lot of people pass on this offer. The people at Capernaum passed on this offer. We see next week's message. They walk away from Jesus. They reject Jesus. Why? Why would you reject such a tremendous offer? Well, it's because they are trying to fulfill themselves through the physical plane. Verse 26 again. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Again, what we love about Jesus is that he filled our stomachs. Jesus tries to correct them. He says, no, no, look to me for the spiritual needs. I'm the bread of life. In verse 30, we see they get stuck on this idea that no, you can, you can feed us every day. Verse 30 says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what they do with Jesus is, uh, we want you to be like Moses. I mean, under Moses, they got manna every day, day after day. They were fed. That's what we're looking for from you. They couldn't leave the physical dimension. They were trying to f satisfy and fulfill themselves. They didn't believe in Jesus because they wouldn't let go of the way they thought they could be fulfilled. It's reminiscent of how trappers catch monkeys. I just saw a film from 1912 and these trappers took this calabash, it's a, it's a big bowl with a tapered top, and they tied it to a tree and they put nuts in it. And so the monkey comes up and he climbs up the tree, he climbs along the branch, and he reaches in and he grabs the nuts. And he tries to pull them out, but because he's not, his hand's now in a fist, he, he can't pull it out. So he's tugging away and he's fighting away and he's jumping up and down and he can't get it out. He even falls off the branch and he's hanging there and he still doesn't let go, makes his way back onto the branch. He's still pulling, pulling, pulling. The trappers come up behind him. He knows they're there. He's still pulling and pulling and pulling and the tra trappers capture him. He couldn't let go of what he thought was going to give him what he desired. The reasons of people at Capernaum, the reason so many people today do not turn to Jesus as the bread of life is because they are trying to seek their own fullness through power, possessions, prestige, position, or through their purse. They won't let go of these things. Sometimes we as Christians don't get the fullness of what Jesus Christ offers us because we still think we're going to be fulfilled through these things rather than Christ. A second reason they rejected him is found 
in verses 28 and 29. They say to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you may believe in him whom he has sent. So, Jesus Christ offers us a relationship with God by grace, by believing in him. But these people are stuck with what are the works we need to do. There's something about us. In fact, every religion outside of Christianity is you get to God by what you do for him. It is only Christianity that you get to God by what God has done for you. There is something in our nature just that gravitates to, I need to work for my salvation. And they're stuck there. I don't quite know why that is. It could be because we feel we need to earn. It could be because we can't admit that we are so sinful that it takes the death of God to bring us to him. But it's hard to give up this idea of we work for our salvation. They couldn't give it up. And then thirdly, we see in verses 41 and 42, so the Jews grumbled about him because they said, because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, how does he now say, I come down from heaven? See, they couldn't get over the fact that Jesus was saying he was divine, that Jesus is supernatural, that he came from heaven. I mean, they looked and they said, you're just a person. In fact, we know your father and mother. You didn't come down from heaven. And it's the same stumbling block for many people today. It's hard to believe that a man could be God. It's, it seems like it's a myth. It seems like it's a fantasy, somebody claiming to be God. But we need to look at who that person is claimed to be God. We need to see the miracles, the power of God that he had. We need to see the teachings and the wonderful depth and life that's in those teachings, unmatched by anyone else. We need to see the impact that this person has had on all of history, more than anyone else in all of history. We need to look at the person, and I quote C.S. Lewis here that some of you have read, and heard this before, but he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral great teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Jesus didn't leave that option possible. The people at Capernaum thought he was lunatic when he said, 
eat my flesh, drink my blood. The religious leaders thought he was a demon, or he had demons. Who is he? He's who he said he is. He is the bread of life who has come down from heaven. He is divine. So Jesus offers himself as the bread of life. The people reject him, but Jesus himself is not dejected. We have a church of probably 300 people that are a part of our body. If the numbers went down to five, I would feel dejected. I'd blame Travis. Uh, I try to say, must have been the coronavirus. I mean, I'd try to find every excuse in the world, but I would be crushed. Everyone's going to walk on for me from Jesus, but he is not crushed. Why? Don't all leave me now because I've got, I'm mixing my page here. <laughs> they got out of order, didn't they? Yeah. Um, verses 38 and 40. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You hear what he's saying? He is not crushed because he's not measuring his success by the crowd. He measures his success by doing the Father's will. And he is fully confident he is living out the Father's will. He actually, in this passage, prioritizes two things. His relationship with God and his love for us. Because this is the Father's will, that I don't lose any that he has given me. That I will raise them all up on the last day. Jesus stands confident because he knows he's doing what God wants him to do because his love for us is so great. That's all that matters, those two things. That he can offer us eternal life. That he could go to the cross to give us eternal life. That's why Jesus stands confident as others reject him. Christians are being marginalized more and more within our culture. We don't know what the future will bring. There will be an awful lot of pressure. There already is a lot of pressure. There's been on politicians right now, and it'll grow. And those politicians who say Christ is the only way. Everyone else is saying that's xenophobic, that's hateful. But Christ is the only way. How are we going to stand on that truth of the gospel without wavering, confidently, when those around us see the speech in such a different way.
when they reject it? The answer is the same way Jesus Christ did. Our relationship with God, our following God, and our love for people and seeing their need for what Christ has to offer, that's what's going to keep us on message where we will waver or falter. So where are you on your spiritual journey today? Jesus said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, hear those words. He calls you to believe in him, and he will give you eternal life. He will be your bread of life. To believe in Jesus Christ means to see yourself as a sinner, separated from God, but that God put that sin in, upon Jesus Christ. He placed his judgment for our sin on Christ so that we stand before him forgiven. We can trust ourselves and our works, the natural go-to. I'll work for my salvation. That is believing in myself. But when I trust Jesus and what he's done for me, that's believing in him. If you are a Christian already, are you living in the fullness of Jesus Christ, the bread of life? Or do you still have your hand in the world so much that you can't let go and let Jesus Christ fulfill those needs in your life? Where are we on our spiritual journey? Jesus is the bread of life. He is this treasure that so few have accessed. Realize he's your treasure. Our Father, help us to, through your spirit, embrace all the beauty of who you are. To receive and live by the meaning and purpose you've called us to. To experience the heights and depths and wits and breadth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. To our, find our identity, not only as those made in the image of God, but beloved by God. And find our joy by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And certainly, Lord, to have that last chapter of our lives. Read, he, she, lived happily ever after in the presence of their God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.